Let's take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 7 this morning. Romans chapter 7. Well, it's good to see all of you today, and I hope that you had a good week this week. And I know that a lot of busyness, and a lot of running around, a lot of things, but I hope you took time to reflect on the birth of our Savior. And uh, that's something really we should think about all the time, not just at a certain time of year. But uh, we're thankful for that, but we're thankful that He was born. And then at the end of the service, we're going to consider the fact that He died he was buried and that He rose again for us as we have the Lord's table together this morning at the end of the service. I think that's a fitting way to end this year as we think about and meditate on the goodness of God to us, that Jesus Christ came to this earth, that He died on the cross for our sin, that He was buried, and three days later He rose again. And that's what gives us hope as Christians to live each and every day. And as we think about that, we want to think about this idea of walking and following in obedience to what God has for us. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul shares with us, I think, a very personal uh, bit of insight into some of his struggle that he has as a person. Do you ever have those people that you look at and you think, boy, I wish I could be like them when I grow up. They just seem to have it all together. Do you know anybody like that? No, I don't know very many people like that either. But maybe you can think of somebody that uh, you look at and you say, wow, they just seem to have life together and they seem to have things figured out. And yet I think the older we get, we realize somebody compared us to a duck. You know, everything is, is very still on the surface, but underneath the feet are paddling like mad. You know, we're just trying to keep it all together and keep going. And sometimes that's how we live our life. And we struggle to do the things that we want to do. And sometimes we struggle and we're doing things that we don't want to do. And I'm thankful that God's Word speaks to really every area of our life. I was thinking of what the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16 when it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means God breathed it out. He, he gave us His Word. It's given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It means it's worthwhile, right? It has profit. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Word of God is profitable. It's valuable. It helps us to correct us when we get wrong, right? So we know how to then get right. It teaches us how to stay right. It teaches us what God wants for us in each and every area of our life. And yet I believe that many of us, even as Christians, and if you're not a Christian here today and you just came, really I would say all people in the world, we tend to live by some sort of set of values that is often a collection of how we grew up, maybe personal experiences, maybe the area of the country of the world that we're familiar with, maybe based on our economic situation or our educational level, maybe it's based on what we enjoy doing or what our parents enjoy doing. It kind of follows along with simple things like this. People that cheer for the Dallas Cowboys often do because some relative of theirs cheered for the Dallas Cowboys or 
people that cheer for a particular baseball team. It's because that's where they grew up, right? We cheer for the Astros because we grew up in Houston and we like the Astros or whatever it is. We often follow our culture. The way we dress is often a reflection of how we grew up and the things that we were around or the job that we have or the people that we want to impress, right? You hear the idea of dressing to impress, right? And uh, I won't name anybody, but no, I'm just teasing somebody. We, we, people dress up and they get excited about different things and, and they look forward to things. And, and we often make decisions based on just our experience, our culture, our background, our level of understanding. And while this is not all bad, it can be a very dangerous thing. It can be dangerous in the sense that when we make our decisions or we make our, our choices outside of the will of God, outside of what God has shown us in His Word, we can end up getting ourselves into some really big trouble without even meaning to get into trouble. We just say, hey, I was just doing what I was taught, or I was just doing what I was familiar with, or I was just doing what made sense to me. And then all of a sudden, one day, we turn around and we find ourselves in a problem. We find ourselves facing something. We say, how did I end up here? We think about that even if the idea is we're taking this morning of a New Year's resolution, right? That somebody might resolve, decide, hey, I'm going to do this. In 2018, some of you might be thinking about what you're going to do in 2019. You might be writing some goals down. But for many of us, and I did this this past week myself, I opened up my little journal that I keep and I looked back at some things that I wrote down at the beginning of 2018. And I took some uh, stock of my life, if you will, and I said, well, did I accomplish those things that I set out to do? And you know, unfortunately, there were some things on that list I didn't get done this year. Maybe that's like you. You set out to do some things and they just didn't happen like you expected it. In fact, your life didn't go anything like you expected it to this past year. And that's the reality of living in this world. And it's so important then that as followers of Christ, as believers in God, that we follow His Word. Because the reality is life has ups and downs. Things come along that throw us for a loop that we could have never planned for or expected. And yet, I believe as Christians, that is not an excuse to stop living for God. But if you think about that, you say, well, but how is that possible? I mean, can God really anticipate everything that's going to happen in my life? Well, yes, He can, because He's God. But then we might question and say, well, if God can anticipate it, though, doesn't he understand I'm a human? I mean, I'm weak. I struggle. How am I supposed to keep on? How am I supposed to stay faithful? How am I supposed to keep my resolutions? Or how am I supposed to do what I'm supposed to do? That just doesn't seem possible. And so this morning, as we look at Romans chapter 7, we're reading what I think is some personal insight that Paul gives into his own struggle his own difficulty of trying to do what he knows to be right, to do what he should do, and yet the struggle that so often is true in our lives as well. 
That that I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Some of you may have made goals this year surrounding your health, whether it was losing weight or exercising or building muscle. And often we look back and we say, well, we didn't do so hot. I don't know this to be true because I don't generally visit these places, but supposedly it's been told that if you go to work out at the gym after the first of the year, it's a very busy place to be. But just wait a few weeks. It'll thin out, right? Because those resolutions go by the wayside. I read an article this week in Forbes magazine that said that they did some studies and only 8% of people keep their resolutions. 8%. You say, why do we even make them then? Why do we try? If only 8% of people can do it, that means 92% of people fail. So what do we do? Well, when I read this particular article, he gave some different recommendations. And while these are good human recommendations, and these can be helpful to some degree, I don't think they really answer all of the struggle that comes in life. His recommendations were this. Keep it simple, right? When you make a goal, keep it simple. Make it tangible, right? Make it something that you can actually say, not just, hey, I'm going to lose weight, but I want to lose and put a number to that. Keep it obvious, you know, put it out in front of you where you can see it and write about it and talk about it and where you can visualize what's going on. And then he said, keep believing that you can do it. Don't give up. Just keep persevering. Because many people don't accomplish what they want to accomplish in the first week or two, but if they would keep at it for six months or nine months, they would find that they're able to do it. Well, this may be helpful advice. I don't think this answers some of the deeper needs that we struggle with. Because the reality is, I would say as Christians today, our purpose in life, while it is good to take care of our bodies and have good health, and we ought to do that, while it is good to save and try to improve our financial situation. I would say that many people today are struggling with far deeper issues. They're struggling with losing a loved one. They're struggling with an awful health situation. They're struggling with a child who is going off a different direction. And they're, how, how do I bring this all together? And no amount of good New Year's resolutions, they might think, could ever solve those problems. So what's the answer? I don't think the answer is in making more resolutions. And if you want to do it, that's fine, and and writing those things down to help you. But I don't think those address the real deep heart issues of life. Do you? So what do we do? Well, let's look at this passage again, because Paul deals with this struggle, and he's dealing with this struggle with sin. Look at verse 14 of Romans 7. Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That word carnal means I'm fleshly. I'm I'm a human. And this is where, in this first verse, he really gives us the real problem. It's very simple. The problem is sin. He says it right here. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. What law is he speaking of? He's speaking about the law of God. 
God is a spirit, the Bible says, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But here's a problem that we all have. We're all sinners. Paul says it this way. He says, I am carnal, sold under sin. He's literally saying, I am a slave to sin. Or if you look at the Greek tense here, he's talk, it's, in the, it's in the perfect tense. So he says, I have been sold into slavery to sin. It's really the idea here. He said, this is something that happened to me, and it's happened to all of us. This is something that happened in the past. It's a struggle we all have. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul is saying here, the law is spiritual. In other words, I, I can't keep this spiritual law because I am spiritually dead. All of us without Christ are spiritually dead. And so we need to be made spiritually alive if we have any hope of following God's commands. So the problem is sin. We are unspiritual without Christ. In other words, we are controlled by our flesh. Right? I mean, we know about our five senses, right? Our, our touch and our taste and our smell and our sight and our ability to hear. While different people have different levels of those abilities, generally most people have at least one, or if not more, of those senses available to them. And as human beings, because we are flesh, we function according to our senses, what we can see. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Or what we can feel, what we can touch. And yet the Bible says that God cannot be touched with hands, right? Because He's a spirit. What we can taste, what we can smell, all of these senses are how we inform ourselves and make decisions on what we're going to do. And yet Paul says very clearly here in verse 14, the law is spiritual. He says, but I am carnal. So the problem, the reason we can't keep the things that we want to do, the reason that we have a struggle in the first place is very simply sin. Most of you probably say, well, I know that. But if we don't really address what the problem is, it's hard to figure out what the solution is, right? If you don't understand what the issue is that's going on, like if a doctor doesn't have a clear diagnosis of the illness, it's hard for the doctor to prescribe a treatment. If you're trying to educate a child and teach them something, if they, you don't even understand what they need to learn in the first place or what the problem is, it's hard to ever teach them and lead them in the right way. So the problem is sin. We're unspiritual without Christ. We have all been under sin. But see, in Christ, as Ephesians 2 says, and you hath he quickened. That means to be made alive. In Christ, we are now spiritually alive. So here's the tension. If I'm spiritually alive, right? If I've been saved, if God has forgiven me of my sin, then why do I still struggle with sin? And this has been something that people have struggled with forever. 
It's not a new problem, and it's not a problem that's unique to any one of us. It's a problem that we all face. I mean, I thought if I got saved, if I chose to follow God, it was going to fix all my problems. I wasn't going to struggle anymore. And yet, we very clearly do struggle. So what's the problem? Is God not powerful enough? Did He really just not forgive my sin and He said He did? Why do I still struggle with sin? Why do I still fail to do what I want to do? Well, let's read together, beginning in verse 15 of Paul's struggle. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Paul says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That I do. What's he talking about? What he hates. He's not talking about eating Brussels sprouts, okay? He's talking about doing sin. He says, if I'm a follower of Christ, I hate sin. So why do I do sin? Why do I still sin, right? Keep reading. Verse 16. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Paul is acknowledging that God's law is good. And yet he's saying, but I struggle to keep it. Before Christ, it was impossible for us to keep the law because it's spiritual, right? And we're fleshly. So without Christ, you cannot keep the law of God. The Bible says it this way, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. So even the very best that an unsaved person tries, they cannot be good enough to keep God's law. But Paul isn't speaking as an unsaved person anymore. He's speaking as a Christian, as a follower of God. So look at verse 17. Paul says, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Let me stop here for a minute. Because some people would want to take this verse and say, Hey, I don't have any responsibility then. The devil made me do it, right? And yet, that is an incorrect interpretation of this passage. And you say, why? Well, we've got to keep reading, get the context. It's, it's wonderful to be able to quote a verse. It's wonderful to memorize God's Word, and you should do it. The Bible commands us to do it. But when you memorize Scripture, when you hear the Word of God, when you hear something that sounds really good and you think, that's from the Bible, I would encourage you, always look it up and read the verses around it. Because sometimes when you quote one verse, you're missing the bigger idea, right? It's like if you heard something that I said and all you heard was one sentence and you didn't hear the whole context of what was going on, it would be very easy to misinterpret what I was saying. So before you say, well, hey, look, Paul says I have no, I have no responsibility. It's the sin that made me do it. I can't help it. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Paul says, for I know that in me, and he clarifies, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Paul's saying, my flesh, my, my humanness, it's fallen, it's wicked, it's corrupt, it's broken, it's sinful. No good thing, he says. For to will is present with me. He says, I have the desire... I want to do right, but how to perform that which is good, 
I find not. So it's possible, Paul is saying here, to have the desire to do right, but still fail to actually do what you want to do. And we would all agree that that's true, right? That brings us to really the second point that Paul deals with here. The first point is the problem of sin. The second point is this, the great internal struggle that we all have. And he's, he's talking about that for us. He says, I have the will to do right, but the actual power, the ability to perform that, which is good, I find not. We know what that's like. The alarm goes off. I should get up. I really ought to get up. I have a lot to do today. But I don't know how to perform that. I can't get out of bed this morning. Snooze, roll over, right? That, and that goes on not just with the alarm clock in the morning. It goes on when maybe you're at work and somebody says something that's not right. Maybe they even take the name of God in vain. They blaspheme the name of God. They use them as a curse word and we look and we say, Oh, that bothers me. I, I really ought to say something. That's not good for them to do that. These are all internal thoughts. But I, I don't think I can do that. And we don't do it even though maybe we want to do it. Or maybe it happens you from time to time when maybe you're out somewhere and you're talking with somebody or with a family member and somebody says something and you think, this would be a good opportunity to invite them to church or this would be a good opportunity to share about Christ with them. I really ought to do that. That would be a good thing to do. But I just, I don't know if I can do it. Right? That, that's the struggle we all deal with with everything. I mean, there's this desire, if you're a Christian, there should be a desire to do right. If you have no desire to do right whatsoever, you're probably not saved. Okay? Just the, sin, the simple reality. If you, you have no desire to do right whatsoever and you, you could care less about following God, then you need to check your spirit, check your heart. I, I, God's your judge. I'm not here to be your judge. But I just warn you, check your relationship with God. But if you have that desire to be right, the desire to follow God, you know that you've trusted in Christ and you say, but I'm still struggling. I don't know how to perform it. I don't know how to do what I should do. This is this great internal struggle. He says in verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. It's kind of a poem there. The good that I would, that I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Paul is not saying that he has no personal responsibility for his sin. What he's saying is though, there's a war going on inside of me. Between my flesh, my sin, and the Spirit of God. God's Holy Spirit working in me that's given me spiritual life. And I have this desire to do right, but I'm still struggling with these old sinful ways. The Bible says that He's made us alive in Him, that He's quickened us together in Him. He's made us spiritually alive. And even though we're spiritually alive, and the Bible says that our sinful man, the old man, is put to death, you still struggle with those old bad habits and those old things because it's like that if you will, corpse is still inside of you. 
maybe dead, but it's still there. And those tendencies, those habits, those desires, those struggles still are real. They're still there. It'd be kind of like, because Paul uses the illustration of a slave here, right? It'd be kind of like if someone had been in slavery. I always say that'd be a very awful thing. Somebody's in slavery and we, someone came along and said, you are free. You are no longer a slave. In fact, I have paid whatever they said you owed and now you are free to go. Or imagine it this way. If you were locked up in prison and you spent time in jail for something you had done wrong and then either you fulfilled your sentence or for some reason the judge said, you know what, we're going to release this individual. We're going to let them go. And they free you and you go. Now you're free from slavery. You're free from the, the prison cell. But then that night, at the end of the day, you thought, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. The only people I know are back there where I was enslaved. The only people I know are back there in the jail. And so you go back to the slave owner and say, can I, can I stay here? They say, no, this isn't your place anymore. But it's the only thing I know. It's the only bed I've ever slept in. It's the only place I've ever been. It's what I'm familiar with, right? And it's like going back to those old habits and those old ways and those things that were familiar to us because it's what we're most comfortable doing. And even though you have your freedom, you're not used to living as a free person. You, you don't know how to go out and get a job. You don't know how to pay your bills. You don't have any money to do it. And you're not sure what to do. And that's some of the struggle of the Christian life, right? That we're free from sin. We've been, sin has been put to death. We now are spiritually alive, and yet we're not sure how to live in that spiritual life on a day-to-day basis. We're not sure what to do. And so we tend to go back and revisit the old things that we're familiar with. And what Paul is talking about in this struggle is a struggle that's very real. And it's a struggle that will happen inside of every single one of us until we reach heaven one day. And you say, why do we have to wait till then? Because at that point, we are no longer in our sinful body. We now are with Christ, spiritually with Him. And the Bible says God will one day then give us a glorified body, a new body that's not corrupt, that has no sin, that has no struggle, that has no past bad habits that has no scars of the way that we were. Instead, now we can live forever with Christ. So I think this begs the question for us this morning, though. What are we supposed to do right now? Do we just throw up our hands and say, well, it's not my fault anyway. It's a sin. I I can't help it. Or is this a struggle? Is this a battle that is worth fighting? Is this a battle that we have the ability to gain victory in over time. While we may not experience complete victory until we're in heaven with Christ, it's a battle we ought to keep fighting every day. The battle of good over evil. Well, let's keep reading this passage. Paul says in verse number 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight... In the law of God, after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, 
wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? It's a struggle. It's natural to have this struggle. If you do not have Jesus Christ in your life, there is no way you'll have any victory over this struggle. But if you do have Christ in your life, there is hope. There is hope. I don't want to take you to the end of 2018 and say, yep, you all have really bad struggles and sorry, there's no hope. Let's all go home. That, that would be a pretty sad way to end the year, wouldn't it? But that's not how God ever leaves us in His Word. God always leaves us with hope. And as we looked at several weeks ago, the hope is Jesus. Jesus gives us hope. There's a great internal struggle because of the problem of sin. But the answer, the answer to all of that is Jesus. He mentions two different things, I think, as we think about who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us. We see the first one back in verse 22. He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. If we're going to have victory over sin, if we're going to be able to see some winning in this struggle of life that we faced, we must delight ourselves in the law of God. What does it mean to delight yourself? It means to find your happiness in, your fulfillment in, your fullness in, your hope in, your focus is in the law of God. You say, is this the only place in the Bible this talks about it? Oh no, not by any means. Let me just give you a couple scripture verses to jot down and there are many more. If we're going to have the answer be Jesus, it starts by delighting in the law of God. I love Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, there's our word, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall I like this word, prosper. Prosper. But how do we do that? He says, by delighting in the Word of God. Delighting in the Word of God. And it's really in Psalm 1, he's contrasting the idea of delighting in the Word of God as opposed to walking in the way of the wicked or spending time with those who are not doing right. Here's the reality. We often live our lives, even as Christians, and we spend more of our time distracted by and focused on the wicked world around us than we do delighting ourselves in the Word of God. You know why you struggle so much? It's because we don't delight in the Word of God. That's the first reason. You say, why does that matter? I already know what the Bible says. I had a good conversation with this, about this with one of my sons this week. got me thinking about this. It was a good conversation. We were talking about reading our Bibles. And, you know, we, one of my goals each year, as it is all the time, is to spend time in the Word of God every day. Spend time reading God's Word every day. And 
I, I do pretty well with that, but there's a day here and, the, here and again sometime that I miss a day. But I always want to get back in the Word of God and be reading it, be learning it, be growing it, because it's, it's the answer. It's the hope. It's, it's where we find truth. But here's what happens in our life sometimes as Christians. We get so comfortable with the Word of God and the truth, and we say, well, I know that. I know I've done this at different periods of my life. I would even come to church, sit it through a message, hear the preaching, and kind of tune it out and say, well, I already know that. I know what he's preaching about. Heard that before. I mean, after you've come to church for a while, you're going to start hearing some repetition. Don't forget, repetition aids learning. It's okay to repeat. It's helpful to repeat. Now, we ought to be preaching and teaching, the Bible tells us, from the whole counsel of God. So we need to be looking at all of what God says. It doesn't mean being stuck on one verse forever, right? We've got to keep looking at all of what God says so we have a full, complete view of who God is based on what He said in His Word. But repetition is not a bad thing. But sometimes when we hear things over and over, we tend to tune it out. We get tired. We, we go to sleep. Think about those disciples there in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus is getting ready to be taken and crucified. And Jesus is saying, watch with me. Pray lest ye enter into temptation. The Spirit indeed is willing. Here's the idea. But the flesh is weak. And what happened to those disciples? They fell asleep. In the moment... In the hour that Jesus wanted them with Him more than any other time, His disciples were asleep. Sometimes we fall asleep to the truth of God's Word, don't we? It becomes familiar, becomes old hat. I've heard it before. Pastor, he's preaching that series. I already know all that stuff. Folks, it's not just about knowledge. It's about delighting yourself in it. To delight yourself in something is constantly reminding yourself of something. If I'm delighting myself in communicating with my wife, I don't have a problem. In fact, we do this from time to time, pulling out old letters and reading them again. It's not a bother to open up a text message or an email that she sent me a long time ago and read it again. Nobody would think I was strange for doing that. They said, no, you must really love your wife. That's normal. And yet, sometimes we treat God as if, well, I already know what you had to say. God, I already read the Bible once. I've heard all the messages. I've been in church. I know what's right. I can speak with the best of them and spout verses off. But we aren't delighting ourselves in the Word of God. So here's what happens to us. We know the truth, but we are not constantly delighting ourselves in the truth. And so we don't let the truth direct our lives. Instead, we live kind of distracted lives because we're walking in the counsel of the ungodly and standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of the scornful and pretty soon we find ourselves in a big mess. That internal struggle is still real. If you want to gain victory in that internal struggle, you better delight yourself in the Word of God. I want to challenge you as you look forward to this next year, delight yourself in the Word of God. Get into a one-on-one -on -one Bible study relationship with somebody else in our church that can help you and keep you accountable and help you study God's Word together. You may not learn anything brand new, 
but just the consistent reminders of delighting yourself and spending time together in God's Word will help you to gain victory in some of the spiritual struggle that you face in your life. Commit to reading God's Word and meditating on it, as Psalm 1 says. Do you want to prosper? We always say that, right, at the New Year. Have a prosperous, happy New Year. We say those kinds of things. How are we going to prosper? Delight ourselves in the Word of God. Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, in verse 16, For which cause we faint not, but... Through our out, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How do you renew yourself on the inside? Through the Word of God. The Word of God is what refreshes you. It's kind of like the idea of every day you need to be drinking water, right? To continue renew yourself on the inside. If you quit drinking water, you'll pretty soon become dehydrated. You'll dry up and eventually you can die. Before you die, you'll experience all kinds of other physical struggles just because you weren't drinking water every day. You would never say, oh, I drank water last week. I don't need to drink any water this week. You would never say, I know we would never say this, oh, I ate supper three days ago. I don't need to eat supper today. No, we like to eat every day because we're trying to renew ourselves physically If we need to renew ourselves physically, how much more do we need to renew ourselves spiritually? You know why we struggle? It's because of sin. But you know why it's always a losing struggle for many of us? It's because we're not renewing ourselves spiritually day by day. You say, that doesn't sound very exciting. It's not always that exciting. It's not always that exciting to drink a glass of water. It's not always that exciting to sit down and Eat leftovers again. But it's important. It's important to be renewing yourself physically. It's much more important to be renewing yourself spiritually. The Bible says in Psalm 119 and verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. We forget things when we don't regularly rehearse them in our mind. Like, I don't have a problem remembering your name because I see you on a regular basis. But maybe you're like me. You struggle with names sometimes. And there are people I haven't seen in five or six or ten years, and some of those people, if I was around them again, I'd struggle to call their name. When I was in college, every semester, because I wasn't very good with names, I would pull out the yearbook before I would go back for the next semester, and I'd go through and I'd look at all the photos and the names and say, all right, Oh yeah, that's him, that's him, that's her, that's her. Because otherwise I'd just walk around and call everybody, hey, you know, hey, because <laughs> I didn't remember their name. But once I got to school and I was rehearsing that, practicing on a regular basis, pretty soon those names would start to stick with you because you're doing it all the time. How do we keep the truth forefront in our mind? We delight ourselves in the law. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Paul says in Romans chapter 7 and verse 25, after he asked the question in 24, who shall deliver me? In 25 he says, I thank God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. 
That's the answer. That's who can deliver you. You're struggling? Guess what? We all are. Some of us might have mastered the art of putting on a better face than someone else in here, but we all have spiritual struggle. Even the Apostle Paul, some people might say the greatest Christian who ever lived, he struggled. He struggled. So how are you going to get victory? Well, delight yourself in the Word of God and trust in Jesus as Lord. Paul here is thanking God through Jesus Christ the Lord. He's demonstrating his reliance upon God. And he does this through thanksgiving. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 through 58, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For ye know, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So how do we have victory over spiritual struggle? There's an old song that says, Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Delight yourself in the Word of God. That's obeying His Word. Reminding yourself of the truth and trusting in Jesus. He calls Him our Lord. He's in charge. Trust in Him. When you struggle, as you will, give it to the Lord. Lord, I need your help. God, what does your word say? God, I'm not going to trust in my own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. But I don't know what to do in this situation. Trust in the Lord. Delight in His word. You say, that sounds really simple. It is conceptually, but it's difficult to do day by day, isn't it? Just like it's easy to say, hey, I'm going to lose 15 pounds. I'm going to go work out at the gym every day. It's easy to say. It's hard to do. You say, well, how do I do that? It's day by day. That's what we read several of these verses. The inner man is renewed day by day. It's a daily choice. And there will be days that you mess up. There will be days that the struggle is greater. So what do I do the next day? Open the Word of God. God, what, what do you have for me today? God, what do you want to speak to me about today? God, I'm struggling with this today. And Lord, I'm going to do my best to obey you today. Maybe I didn't yesterday. God, forgive me for that. Help me to obey you today. Trust and obey. Very simple. Very simple to say. But that's part of why we have a church. Because we can work together on these things. We can encourage one another. You can have somebody come along and say, I'm praying for you. Praise the Lord for God who hears and answers prayer. But if nobody knows what you're going through, nobody can pray about it with you. If you're not spending time studying God's Word with anybody, nobody really knows where you're at spiritually. Allow yourself to open up to be in that kind of relationship with other people, and I promise you, you will see spiritual growth happen in your life. 
victory begin to come over difficult things. God didn't create you or me to live on an island by ourselves. You say, well, how do you know that? Because when God created Adam and Eve, every day he would come down and fellowship with them. Even when there were only two people in the whole world, God himself would come down and spend time with them every day. God wants to spend time with you every day and with me every day. God wants us as believers to spend time together. Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. We ought to be together. We ought to spend time with one another. We ought to encourage one another. And then what happens is we grow and we get spiritual victory over things. We are better equipped to go and share the message of hope with others. The book of Ecclesiastes says, I think it's in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8 says, Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. Ever thought about that? We get excited about the beginning of things, but in some ways I think the end is better. The Bible says it is. So perhaps the end of a year is better than the beginning of a year. I think Ecclesiastes also talks about this, how it causes us to reflect, to think back. Yes, we make our plans and it's full of energy and excitement, but sometimes that excitement is only kept for a while. Often when we reflect on the past, it allows us to make adjustments and things going forward. A couple things happened this week that really gave me pause. One thing we need to be praying about as a church family is be praying for Brother Josh Tanner's brother. Found out this week he has very serious cancer in his spine. He's 27. He and his wife are expecting their third child. You say, how? I don't know how. I don't know what. But I know there's God. I know that he's good. I hope that you'll encourage the Tanners. Maybe send them a card. Let them know you're praying for them. They're probably going to be heading out of town in the next week or two to go visit back in California. That wasn't part of the plan. But that's what the Lord has in their life right now. Pray for this, his brothers. Brother's name is John. And John has a wife and children and parents and family. So what do you do in those kind of situations? The only thing we can do, delight yourself in the Word of God. Trust in the Lord. Yesterday, I hopped on Facebook for a minute and I kept seeing this same post pop up over and over again from a number of different friends of mine. On Friday night, about 11 o'clock, young man, he's a pastor over in Alabama at Grandview Pines Baptist Church. I don't know him person, but we have a lot of mutual friends. About 11 o'clock at night, he started feeling sick. He passed out, unresponsive. His wife called the ambulance. He died of a cardiac arrest Friday night. I went back and looked at his Facebook page. He was posting about different things and communicating with people. 
at 9 o'clock on Friday night. I went and found their church's Facebook page. There he is last Wednesday and last Sunday preaching and leading singing. It's a small little church in a small town, and there he is, happily serving the Lord. Whoa, how did this happen? What are they going to do? He and his wife, they got six kids. How are they going to take care of this? That, those, those two things this week really hit home for me. Uh, some of those guys are in similar situations to, I, to, to the situation I'm in. What would happen to me if I was gone? What would happen to my wife, my kids? Jared Decker, his life was just totally normal. He was happy, at least as far as I can tell. Things were going just fine. He wasn't even sick. Hadn't had any problems. And now he's with the Lord. See, folks, there's spiritual struggle. There's difficult things all around us all the time. And you probably, I told you a couple stories. You could probably all tell your own stories of things that you know about. Folks, it's not that God is not strong enough. It's not that God hasn't given us the help we need. There is a struggle. It's caused by sin. We all have a flesh that we deal with. And even if we know the Lord is our Savior, that internal struggle is strong. The only way to get victory is through walking in truth, delighting yourself in the Word of God, and obeying what God has said to do, trusting in the Lord. It takes work. It takes effort. But I hope as we finish up this year, you take some time to think and ask God, God, what? What can I do better? God, what do I need to learn? God, how can I serve you better? Today could be our last day. This week could be our last week. This year, could, 2019 might be the very last year we have. God, how can I use it for you? Lord might take us home early. At least we would think it's early. It's never early for him. It's always right on time. But So I say, well, I'm not expecting to be gone this next year. No one ever is. But at some point, it is going to be time. At some point, the Bible tells us that it's going to be all of our times. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? You say, well, I've tried to save money. I've tried to get my insurance policy. I got my will. I got all that. That doesn't get you ready for the spiritual things may take care of some physical things, make sure your loved ones, and you ought to do that. But that's not the most important thing. Do you know where you're going to go if you were to die today? Do you know where you would go? Are you doing what you want to be doing right now? Because you're only given now. This moment is the only moment you have that's yours. The next one is not. Tomorrow's not yours. It's God's. How are you going to use what God has given you? What would God want you to do? What, what commitment would God want you to have? What steps of faith does God want you to progress in? Are you comfortable to just fight a losing battle? Or would you like to win? I, I'd like to win. I'd like to see some victory. I'd like to see some steps forward of faith in my own life. I'd like to see some steps forward for our church this next year. 
I'd like to see God continue to bless. God has done some great things, hasn't He? He's a good God and He's blessed us and He's helped us. And yes, we've gone through some difficult things. All of us have. Some maybe more than others. But all of us, if we're honest, would have to step back and look at our life and say, but God is still good. He's always good. And even if He took everything away, He'd still be good. You say, how do you know that? Well, I don't know it experientially, but I know of a man who did experience that. His name was Job. God allowed everything to be taken away from him, and yet he still worshiped God. You say, why? God is still given to each and every one of us. He's given us his son. And you could lose everything else. You could lose your health, your loved ones, all your finances. You could have everything taken away from you and God would still be good because He's given you the opportunity for eternal life in Him. I hope that you'll trust in Him if you haven't. I hope that if you have trust in Him, you'll continue to trust in Him, delight in His Word, obey His truth, and get some other folks, other Christian folks around you in the church to encourage you and help you grow to follow Him. The Lord will help you as we follow Him together. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we close our service in prayer this morning? Ask God to help us. I don't know about you, but when I, in studying this passage this week, this is kind of heavy stuff. Difficult things. But I think it's necessary for us to hear. I think it's important for us to consider. And folks, don't just go from here as, as we so often tend to do without changing things. If God has spoken to your heart this morning, there's something that needs to be changed, maybe some sin you need to confess to Him this morning, confess it to God. If there's some area of your life that you need to ask God to help you with, ask Him. He wants to hear from you. Let's trust God to help us to be the people that He wants us to be as we finish up 2018, look into 2019. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning. Thank You that You're good. You sent Your Son. Paul said, I thank God for Christ Jesus, my Lord. Thank you, God, for sending your Son. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you for giving the opportunity for salvation to all who would believe. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't trusted you, I pray that today would be the day they'd confess their sin and trust in you as Savior. Lord, for those who have, help them, Lord, as they face the struggle, as we all face the struggle, to live for You. The fight, the internal struggle between our flesh and our spirit. Help us to strengthen our spirit through delighting in the Word of God and through trusting and obeying your, what You've said and in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. Lord, we thank You for our church. We thank You for all that You've done this year. We look forward to what you'll continue to do. Help us to be faithful people that follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.